Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from the words of J.C. Ryle. We're talking about forgiveness. This is the third installment of three, the final installment on this message. Chapel at MountZion.org is the way you can uh, contact these people at Chapel Library who give this booklet out for free, along with a lot of other things. Just contact them. <clears throat> the text we said was First John chapter 2, verse 12. He's using a lot of passages of Scripture, though, but that was the main one. And let's finish up now talking about the marks of having found forgiveness. Let me, he says, in the last place, supply the readers of this paper with some marks of having found forgiveness. I dare not leave out this point. Too many persons presume they are forgiven who have no evidence to show. Not a few cannot think it possible they are forgiven who are plainly on the way to heaven, though they may not see it themselves. I would fain raise hope in some and self-inquiry in others. And to do this, let me set down in order the leading marks of a forgiven soul. Forgiven souls hate sin. They can enter most fully into the words of our communion service that says, The remembrance of sin is grievous unto them, and the burden of it is intolerable. It is the serpent that bit them. How should they not shrink from it with horror? It is the poison that, that brought them to the brink of eternal death. How should they not loathe it with a godly disgust? It is the Egyptian enemy that kept them in hard bondage. How should not the very memory of it be bitter to their hearts? It is the disease of which they carry the marks and scars about them, and from which they have scarcely recovered. Well, may they dread it, flee from it, and long to be delivered altogether from its power. Remember how the woman in Simon's house wept over the feet of Jesus? Remember how the Ephesians publicly burned their wicked books? Remember how Paul mourned over his youthful transgressions? He says, I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. If you and sin are friends, you and God are not yet reconciled. You are not suitable for heaven, for one main part of heaven's excellence is the absence of all sin. And then forgiven souls love Christ. This is that one thing they can say if they dare say nothing else. They do love Christ. His person, his offices, his work, his name, his cross, his blood, his words, his example, his, his day, his ordinances, all are, are precious to forgiven souls. The ministry that exalts him most is that which they enjoy most. The books that are most full of him are most pleasant to their minds. The people on earth they feel most drawn to are those in whom they see something of Christ. His name is as ointment poured forth and comes with a peculiar sweetness to their ears. They would tell you they cannot help feeling as they do. He is their Redeemer, their Shepherd, their Physician, their King, their Strong Deliverer, their Gracious Guide, their Hope, their Joy, their All. Were it not for him, they would be of all men most miserable. They would as soon consent that you should take the sun out of the sky as Christ out of their religion. 
those people who talk of the Lord and the Almighty and the deity and so forth, but have not a word to say about Christ are in anything but a right state of mind. What saith the scripture? He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Forgiven souls are humble. They cannot forget that they owe all they have and hope for to free grace. And this keeps them lowly. They are brands plucked from the fire, debtors who could not pay for themselves, captives who must have remained in prison forever, but for undeserved mercy, wandering sheep who were ready to perish when the shepherd found them. And what right then have they to be proud? I do not deny that there are proud saints, but this I do say, they are of all God's creatures the most inconsistent and of all God's children the most likely to stumble and pierce themselves with many sorrows. Forgiveness more often produces the spirit of Jacob who said, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. And of Hezekiah, I shall go softly all my years. And of the Apostle Paul, I am less than the least of all saints, the chief of sinners. When you and I have nothing we can call our own but sin and weakness, there is surely no garment that becomes us so well as humility. Forgiven souls are holy. Their chief desire is to please him who has saved them, to do his will, to glorify him in body and in spirit which are his. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits is a leading principle in a pardoned heart. It was the remembrance of Jesus showing mercy that made Paul in labors so abundant and in doing good so unwearied. It was a sense of pardon that made Zacchaeus say, The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. If anyone points out to me believers who are in a carnal, slothful state of soul, I reply in the words of Peter, they have forgotten they were purged from their old sins. But if you show me a man deliberately living an unholy and licentious life, and yet boasting that his sins are forgiven, I answer, he is under a ruinous delusion. He is not forgiven at all. I would not believe he is forgiven if an angel from heaven affirmed it, and I charge you not to believe it too. Pardon of sin and love of sin are like oil and water. They will never go together. All that are washed in the blood of Christ are also sanctified by the Spirit of Christ. Forgiven souls are forgiving. They do as they have been done by. They look over the offenses of their brethren. They endeavor to walk in love as Christ also hath loved them and gave himself for them. They remember how God, for Christ's sake, forgave them and endeavor to do the same towards their fellow creatures. Has he forgiven them pounds, and shall they not forgive a few pence? Doubtless in this, as in everything else, they come short. But this is their desire and their aim, a spiteful, quarrelsome Christian is a scandal to his profession. It is very hard to believe that such a one has ever sat at the foot of the cross 
and has ever considered how he is praying against himself if every time he uses the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is he not saying, as it were, Father, do not forgive me my trespasses at all? But it is still harder to understand what such a one would do in heaven if he got there. All ideas of heaven in which forgiveness has not a place are castles in the air and vain fancies. Forgiveness is the way by which every saved soul enters heaven. Forgiveness is the only title by which he remains in heaven. Forgiveness is the eternal subject of song with all the redeemed who inhabit heaven. Surely an unforgiving soul in heaven would find his heart completely out of tune. Surely we know nothing of Christ's love to us but the name of it if we do not love our brethren. I cannot conceal from you these marks should raise in many minds great searchings of heart. I must be plain. I fear there are thousands of persons called Christians who know nothing of these marks. They are baptized. They attend the services of their church. They would not on any account be reckoned infidels, but as to true repentance and saving faith, union with Christ and sanctification of the Spirit, they are names and words of which they know nothing at all. Now, if this paper is read by such persons, it will probably either alarm them or make them very angry. If it makes them angry, I shall be sorry. If it alarms them, I shall be glad. I want to alarm them. I want to awaken them from their present state. I want them to take in the great fact that they are not yet forgiven, that they have not peace with God and are on the high road to destruction. I must say this, for I see no alternative. It seems neither Christian faithfulness nor Christian charity to keep it back. I see certain marks of pardoned souls laid down in Scripture. I see an utter lack of these marks in many men and women around me. How then can I avoid the conclusion that they are not yet forgiven? And how shall I do the work of a faithful watchman if I do not write it down plainly in, in so many words? Where is the use of crying peace, peace, when there is no peace? Where is the honesty of acting the part of a lying physician and telling people there is no danger, when in reality they are fast drawing near to eternal death? Surely the blood of souls would be required at my hands if I wrote to you anything less than the truth. If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Examine yourself, then, before this subject is forgotten. Consider of what sort your religion is. Try it by the five marks I have just set before you. I have endeavored to make them as broad and general as I can for fear of causing any heart to be sad that God has not made sad. If you know anything of them, though it be but a little, I am thankful, and I entreat you to go forward. But if you know nothing of them in your own experience, let me say, in all affection, I stand in doubt of you, and I tremble for your soul. Finally, part five, the applications. First, are you forgiven? Now, before I conclude, let me put a, a closing question uh, to everyone who reads this paper. It shall be short and plain, but it is all important. Are you forgiven? I've told you all I can about forgiveness. 
your need of forgiveness, the way of forgiveness, the encouragements to seek forgiveness, the marks of having found it, all have been placed before you. Bring the whole subject to bear upon your own heart and ask yourself, am I forgiven? Either I am or I am not. Which of the two is it? You believe perhaps that there is forgiveness of sins. You believe that Christ died for sinners and that he offers a pardon to the most ungodly. But are you forgiven yourself? Have you yourself laid hold on Christ by faith and found peace through his blood? What profit is there to you in forgiveness except you get the benefit of it? Except you lay hold for your own soul, you will be as surely lost as if there was no forgiveness at all. If ever your sins are to be forgiven, it must be now. Now in this life, if ever in the life to come. Now in this world, if they are to be found blotted out when Jesus comes again the second time. There must be actual business between you and Christ. Your sins must be laid on him by faith. His righteousness must be laid on you. His blood must be applied to your conscience, or else your sins will meet you in the day of judgment and sink you into hell. How can you trifle when such things are at stake? How can you be content to leave it uncertain whether you are forgiven? Surely that a man can make his will, ensure his life, give directions about his funeral, and yet leave his soul's affairs in uncertainty? That would be a strange thing indeed. Next, a solemn warning to those not forgiven. Let me give a solemn warning to everyone who reads this paper and knows in his conscience he is not forgiven. Well, your soul is in awful danger. You may die this year, and if you die as you are, you are lost forever. If you die without pardon, without pardon, you will rise again at the last day. There is a sword over your head that hangs by a single hair. There's but a step between you and death. Oh, I wonder that you can sleep quietly in your bed. You are not yet forgiven. Then what have you got by your religion? You go to church. You you have a Bible. You have a prayer book, perhaps a hymn book. You hear sermons. You join in services. It may be you go to the Lord's table. But what have you really got after all? Any hope? Any peace? Any joy? Any comfort? Nothing. Literally, Nothing. You've got nothing but mere temporal things if you are not a pardoned soul. You are not yet forgiven, but you trust God will be merciful. Yet why should he be merciful if you will not seek him in his own appointed way? Merciful he doubtless is, wonderfully merciful to all who come to him in the name of Jesus. But if you choose to despise his directions and make a road to heaven of your own, you'll find to your cost there is no mercy for you. You are not yet forgiven, but you hope you will be someday. I, I, cannot, I cannot bear that expression. It's like thrusting off the hand of conscience and seizing it by the throat to stop its voice. Why are you more likely to seek forgiveness at a future time? Why should you not seek it now? Now is the time for gathering the bread of life. The day of the Lord is fast drawing near, and then no man can work. The seventh trumpet will soon sound. The kingdoms of this world will soon become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. 
Woe to the house that is found without the scarlet line and without the mark of blood upon the door, as in Joshua 2. Well, you may not feel your need of forgiveness now, but a time may come when you will need it. The Lord in mercy grant that it may not then be too late. And then let me next give an earnest invitation to all who read this paper or hear it and desire forgiveness. I know not who you are or what you have been in time past, but I say boldly, come to Christ by faith and you shall have a pardon. High or low, rich or poor, young men and maidens, old men and children, you cannot be worse than Manasseh and Paul before their conversion, or than David and Peter after their conversion. Come, all of you, to Christ, and you shall be freely forgiven. Think not for a moment that you have some great thing to do before you come to Christ. Such a notion is of the earth, earthy. The gospel bids you come just as you are. Man's idea is to make his peace with God by repentance and then come to Christ at last. The gospel way is to receive peace from Christ first of all and then begin with him. Man's idea is to amend, turn over a new leaf and so work his way up to reconciliation and friendship with God. The gospel way is first to be friends with God through Christ and then to work. Man's idea is to toil up the hill and find life at the top. The gospel way is first to live by faith in Christ and then to do his will. Come then, willing to receive and not thinking how much you can bring. Come, willing to take what Christ offers and not fancying you can give anything in return. Come with your sins and no other qualification but a hearty desire for pardon. And as sure as the Bible is true, you shall be saved. You may tell me you are not worthy. You're not good enough. You're not elect. I answer, you're a sinner and you want to be saved. And what more do you need? You're one of those whom Jesus came to save. Come to him and you shall have life. Take with you words and he will hear you graciously. Tell him all your soul's necessities. And I know from the Bible, he will give heed. Tell him you have heard he receiveth sinners and that you are such. Tell him you have heard he has the keys of life <clears throat> excuse me, in his hand <clears throat> and entreat him to let you in. Tell him you come in dependence on his own promises and ask him to fulfill his word and do as he has said. Do this in simplicity and sincerity and my soul for yours you shall not ask in vain. Do this and you shall find him faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Last of all, let me give a word of exhortation to all the forgiven souls. You are forgiven. Then know the full extent of your privileges and learn to rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> you and I are great sinners, but then we have a great Savior. You and I have sinned sins that are past man's knowledge, but then... We have the love of Christ, which passes knowledge to rest upon. You and I feel our hearts to be a, a bubbling fountain of evil, but then we have another fountain of greater power in Christ's blood to which may we may resort daily. You and I have mighty enemies to contend with, but then the captain of our salvation is mightier still and is ever with us. 
Why should our hearts be troubled? Why should we be disquieted and cast down? O men and women of little faith that we are, wherefore do we doubt? Let us strive every year to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is sad to be content with a little religion. It is honorable to covet the best gifts. We ought not to be satisfied with the same kind of hearing, reading, and praying that satisfied us in years gone by. We ought to labor every year to throw more heart and reality into everything we do in our religion, to love Christ more intensely, to abhor evil more thoroughly, to cleave to what is good more closely, to watch even our least ways more narrowly, to declare very plainly that we seek a country, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and be clothed with him in every place and company, to see more, to feel more, to know more, to do more. These ought to be our aims and desires every year we begin. Truly, there is room for improvement in all of us. Let's try to do good to the souls of others more than we have done hitherto. Alas, it is poor work indeed to be swallowed up in our own spiritual concerns and taken up with our own spiritual ailments and never to think of others. We forget that there is such a thing as religious selfishness. Let us count it a, a sorrowful thing to go to heaven alone. and Let us seek to draw companions with us. We ought never to forget that every man, woman, and child around us will soon be either in heaven or hell. Let us say to others, as Moses did to Hobab, Come with us, and we will do thee good. Oh, it is indeed a true saying, He that watereth shall be watered also himself. The idle, do-little, selfish Christian has little idea what he is missing. And finally, let us say to everything in the world that interferes between ourselves and Jesus Christ, Stand aside. And let us dread allowing ourselves in the least evil habits, lest insensibly they rise up like a mist and hide him from our eyes. In his light alone shall we see light and feel warmth. Separate from him, we shall find the world a dark and cold wilderness. We should call to mind the request of the Athenian philosopher when the mightiest monarch on earth asked him what he desired most. I have, he said, but, but one request to make, and that is that you would stand from between me and the sun. Let this be the spirit in which you and I are found continually. Let us think lightly of the world's gifts. Let us sit calmly under its cares. Let us care for nothing if we may only ever see the king's face, if we may only ever abide in Christ. If our sins are forgiven, our best things are yet to come. Yet a little while, a little time, we shall see face to face and know even as also we have been known, we shall see the king in his beauty and go no more out. Blessed then is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 32, 1 and amen. I was J.C. Ryle. Thank you for listening. Please look around the site. We have over 3,000 audios on this site featuring some of the church's great preachers as J.C. Ryle, Bible studies on a number of subjects, a blog, 
a store where you can purchase one of my books. If you desire more fellowship, please consider visiting my YouTube channel known as Pasturelands or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. I'll share details of our street ministry, our Saturday evening Zoom meeting, the new virtual church on Sunday morning, a couple of in-person churches that we could talk about visiting and meeting up at. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. And as you hear this for the first time, it's April the 18th, 2022. Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.